0: Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, a week of journeying to the cross that takes us to Good Friday, the silence of Holy Saturday. And this means it's almost time to celebrate with the ultimate triumph and incredible joy of Easter. Celebration is coming. But we're not just celebrating the, the fact that Lent is over. We're not just celebrating a holiday. We're celebrating what God is doing through our repentance. And the point I want to make today is that Lent is about preparing our hearts for the repentance that the salvation of Jesus' resurrection story brings. Repentance leads to celebration. Now, we often see celebration as the finish line. And I used to think that in heaven, that was really the only time that we were going to celebrate. But as you read scripture, we see that Jesus is celebrating regularly, and there's this rhythm of fasting and feasting. And the point of the fast is to reveal the brokenness in us and around us, to repent of that. And we do this both individually and collectively, and that's why we celebrate together. The early church would fast for Lent, and often they would fast from a variety of meats and wine, and then on Easter they would gather together, they would celebrate the resurrection story of Jesus, they would sing and dance and worship and take part in all the things that they had given up. Various traditions across the years have have had some type of liturgical observance similar to that. And as it has made its way to people like us today, we wanted to see how we could participate in the gift of fasting and celebrating, just not yet. So before we get too much further, I wanna pause and reflect on our Fast Forward series, this being the last message of it. Specifically, I wanna encourage you in all of your attempts Uh, of of practicing the discipline of fasting. It hasn't always been easy, has it? Shout out to all of you who have fasted for the first time. Shout out to all of you who who tried fasting and gave up on Thursday. Shout out to all of you who resumed uh, the practice on Friday. Listen, bless all of you who have stopped and started and stopped and started and failed and succeeded. It is a practice. It is a discipline. And we encourage you to keep working on it as the Lord leads you at other points of the year. And for all of you who fasted perfectly, no one will ever know, will they? Fasting is its own reward, its own journey. And what the Lord shows you is what the Lord shows you. And among the truths that we want to see today is that the prayer and fasting leads to repentance, and repentance leads to celebration. Jesus' followers celebrating. Oh man, it gets me a little nervous, to be honest with you. Are we really good at celebrating? I mean, right where you're at, right now, give a woohoo. Come on, come on, on the count of three. One, two, three. Woohoo! I have a feeling it didn't sound very strong at nine o'clock in the morning. That's what I mean. Are we good at celebrating? Can you picture Jesus up in heaven right now? I, I defeated the grip of death and conquered evil and freed the captives from the snares of hell, and I get this week, woohoo! No, no, no! We need a woohoo. At this p- time, I have Pastor Brian Wilkerson, who is going to conduct a clinic on how to give a proper woohoo celebration. Come on down. Oh, he's he left the room. He's not coming back. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll I have the notes. I'll, I'll I'll do it for you, for him. Do you remember that song by Cool and the Gang, "Celebrate Good Times"? It goes, dent, 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 dent. You know that part? Yeah, yeah. On that part, you're all going to give me a woohoo. I understand some of you are going to be listening to this at Market Basket on a Tuesday. You are not exempt from this exercise, okay? Ready? Dent, 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 den dent. Woohoo. That's, that's, it's getting better. It's getting better. I'm telling you, friends, we have to get good at celebrating. I mean, what if you get to the gates of heaven and the entrance exam is not whether or not you can recite the Apostles' Creed. What if it's cool in the gang going, din, din, din. some of you are not going to get in, okay? We've got to get good at celebrating. Celebrating, again, we don't, we're not just celebrating for its own sake. We're celebrating because of repentance. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned that today is Palm Sunday. And upon Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem, people were celebrating. I'll read a little bit to you. It says, They brought the colt to Jesus, and then throwing their coats on its back, they helped Jesus on. And as he rode, the people gave a grand welcome, throwing their coats on the street. And right at the crest where Mount Olives begins its descent, the whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works that they had witnessed, Blessed is he who comes in God's name, all is well in heaven, glory in the high places. Some Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, get your disciples under control. But he said to them, if they keep quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. Now, if this is the first time that you heard the story, you would have guessed that it would have ended in in a, in a few ways. For instance, Jewish believers of that day thought the Messiah was going to be A political revolutionary and overthrow the Roman occupiers and take back the capital city and eventually reclaiming all of Israel. But that, of course, was not Jesus' mission, so it didn't end that way. And if we were political consultants, we would have told Jesus, hey, when you get out of the limo, wave big and smile for everybody. Cameras are gonna be taking pictures and video is going to be recording. Disciples, make sure you don't get in the way of the shot. We, we, we want you to be the people's Messiah. So if you could hug some people and kiss babies and maybe some, heal some people along the way. We're going to have this big band playing Celebrate Good Times. It's going to be great, Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't have listened to any of that. Instead, Jesus enters the city and as he's doing so, he weeps for them as he predicts their coming destruction. It says... No, Jesus. Not like this. Don't, don't cry. That's a sign of weakness. And don't talk about destruction on a day like this. Nobody, nobody wants to vote for that. And why this coming destruction? Isn't Jesus supposed to be saving them? And if that's not a bad enough turn in the story, he heads down to the center of town. And in the next set of verses, Luke describes that Jesus flips the tables over, chases out the crooked money changers out of the temple. If you and I were there, we would have been shaking our heads in shock and confusion. What was that? It went from a spontaneous parade to a little bit of spontaneous tragedy to a righteous tantrum. This was supposed to be a celebration, but by Friday it ended in crucifixion. What happened? Well, it's what, 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 what didn't happen. Repentance hadn't happened in the hearts of the people. And in the way of Jesus, because there was no repentance, there could be no celebration. Now, every now and then I ask myself, why am I really a Jesus follower? What makes me love Jesus? And of course, in my faith, there are, there are numerous answers and, and probably a thousand reasons. But I want to highlight one of them right now. I like to reflect on this scene where Jesus enters the city and weeps over it. He's weeping for you. He's weeping for me. And in his incredible love for people, he is burdened for them and for us, deeply troubled by their broken, sinful condition, grieved for this unrepentant society and pained by a religious establishment that not only keeps them in the dark spiritually, but profits from it. A powerful Messiah who cares so profoundly and so deeply weeps, for our repentance, that moves me. And the way Jesus looks at the city reminds me of another popular story. It's a story that we're gonna, it happens a few chapters earlier, and Jesus tells us the story. It's the prodigal son story. I'll read it to you. There once was a man who had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for the distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. Now, some of us have heard the story quite a few times, but do your best to put on a a fresh set of lenses here. What the younger son effect is saying to the dad is something like, I can't wait for you any longer for you to die. I want to live my life now, but with the money for my inheritance. Now, the father in the story is an incredible figure in a lot of ways. Here, he shows amazing restraint. Because here's where the story would have likely ended in most cases. Like, after the younger son has said this to the father, the father taught him a lesson that he would never forget. Or, then the father kicked him out of the house and we never heard from him again. End of the story. But that's not what the father does. The father gives the son what he wanted. That meant he must have had to sold off half his land and give the ungrateful son all of this cash and let him go with this terrible and predictable plan. I mean, not only is this the height of dishonoring your parents, it would have caused immense embarrassment to the father in his community. They all would have been wondering, why would he let his son do that to him? Why why would he agree? If you're thinking to yourself, I could never allow my kid to do that, then you are understanding the story that Jesus is telling. Inevitably, the son wasted all on wild living, and we'll see what, he, what happens next here. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through the country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to, to his field to slop the pigs, He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slot, but no one would give him any. Now, this is Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, telling the story in an ancient Jewish context. In that part where Jesus describes that the Son was feeding pigs, pigs are the dirtiest creatures in Jewish literature. The Son has reached the lowest of lows. He is a waiter for the pigs. Jesus is saying that he has defiled himself In just about every way possible. Listeners to the story are both relieved that the boy got what he deserved and they are repulsed by the very thought of him. The story should have ended there, but it doesn't. Instead it says, this brought him to his senses, he said. All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day and here I am starving to death. I'm gonna go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And he got up right there and went home to his father. Broke, hungry, disgraced, desperate, he realizes that the only way to survive is to return home. I imagine he must have have tried to talk himself out of this a hundred times. What would he say to his dad? What about that condescending look that the older brother would undoubtedly give And what would everybody say? He realizes that to stay where he's at is inevitable death. And he knows that he has caused such great embarrassment to his father that the only chance he has is to beg for forgiveness, acknowledge that because of his actions he can't be a son, and beg to live out the remainder of his days as a farmhand on his dad's estate. I mean, Could you imagine the number of times he must have rehearsed his speech on his way back home? The text continues. When he was still a long way off his father saw him his heart pounding he ran out embraced him and kissed him the son started his speech father i have sinned against god i have sinned before you i don't deserve to be called your son ever again but the father wasn't listening he he was calling to the other servants quick bring a clean set of clothes and dress him put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and then get a prize winning heifer and roast it we're going to feast We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found, and they had a wonderful time. This is one of the most powerful and beautiful stories in Scripture. I want you to look at this picture by an artist named Wayne Paschal. And just consider here, the son doesn't get disowned and regulated down to one of the farmhands. There's no father shaking his head in shame all right, you can live in the barn. There's no cons- condescending rhetorical question. Have you learned your lesson yet? There isn't even a lecture. Instead, there is embrace, there is forgiveness. Here you see a true picture of love. This is Jesus saying that, we're in the, that life in the kingdom of God, this father is not like any father you have heard of. Now, I happen to have an amazing father and an amazing mother. But despite how wonderful they have been to me and my siblings, they would be the first to tell you that no earthly parents can compete with the boundless, eternal, perfect love of God the Father. At first glance, that the father in this story defies a bit of convention and logic. But by the end of the story, you're inspired by it all. This is a father that is willing to, to give what he has for his son, to give to point to the point of humiliation and for an older gentleman to run towards this disgraced son with like who knows clothes flying off in full sprint not looking graceful in any way woo-hooing all the way woohoo my son is alive that is an incredible picture of love and forgiveness and redemption the clean clothes and the sandals they they express the extravagant love and the instant restoration. The ring, this, this family heirloom, is it's not about getting carried away in the emotions of it. The ring represents that, that, that the love is endless. It's why we exchange them at weddings. And the ring in the story is the father's way of saying, You will always be my child. Jesus saying that this is what the Heavenly Father is like. There is no shame in the Son's return. There is no, there's no sneaking him in the, the back door and, and quietly forgiving him. It's the opposite. We are going to have a party. Why? Because in the way of Jesus, repentance leads to celebration. What an amazing story. And it should have ended there, with everyone celebrating, but this is a Jesus story. And once again, it's not conventional. All this time, his older son was out in the field. And when the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father's ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, who has thrown away all your money, shows up and you go all out with a feast. And his father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he is found. Here, the father is pleading with the, older, with the older son. Now, I'm the oldest child in my family, and my younger siblings are extremely wonderful. They're probably listening right now, wondering what I'm going to say about them. Wonderful, wonderful people. God-honoring people, they love their parents, they love us, everything's good. But as the older brother, I can relate a little bit with the older brother in this story. And there's a protocol that that was not followed. And there's rules that, that suddenly changed. And it's not because I'm a perfect rule follower. In fact, I don't always like the rules. I think it's more that I've been punished by the rules. And there has to be a consistency to those rules and punishments. Now, this is a constant theme in Jesus' parables because the religious leaders of the day pretty much acted like a tribe of older brothers who we were slow in showing mercy and love. And really, we're, 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 we're always about the rules and the fine prints. Jesus saying, yes, there are rules and they point to goodness. But there's something even better than those rules. And that is repentance to God, the Father. And everything goes out the window for that. And that is why we celebrate. You can almost hear the Father telling the older son, you have lived your whole life competing against your younger brother and trying to win over my love. You've always had my love. It's all yours. Come rejoice with us. And the story should have ended there, with the older brother saying, Oh, shucks, Dad. You're right. Let's have another party next week. As they both walked in the feast, singing and dancing and running and embracing the younger brother. But that's not what happened either he wouldn't come inside. See, the older brother didn't think he did anything wrong. But the extraordinary irony here is that Jesus' focus on this part of the story teaches us that the older brother was actually the one who also needed to be in repentance of a calloused and selfish heart. He was so self-absorbed and so legalistic. he, He couldn't even detect the love that was being shown to his younger brother. And in doing so, he couldn't recognize what love was really about, what forgiveness was really about, what repentance meant. And that was why he couldn't celebrate with everybody. At the end of the story, Jesus is telling us that he has been left out of the kingdom. He has been left out of the way of Jesus. Actually, by the end of the story, we actually hold the older brother in less esteem than the younger brother who had lost it all. And had a lower status than the pigs. That's what the repentance and the forgiveness of God does. It restores us. And that's why we love the story. Because it is a redemption story. And who among us doesn't need redemption? Now, there have been aspects to the story that that used to trouble me as much as I love the story. There's a few things that that always kind of annoy me a little bit. And, And one is that the younger son wasted the inheritance. I hate waste, wasted time, wasted food, wasted opportunity, wasted money, wasted electricity. Turn off the light. Does anybody else have a family member like, who, who turns on the shower and then five minutes later comes into the kitchen for a snack and you're like, like, who's in the shower? Don't waste the water. I'm going to be deducting the wasted water bill from that kid's inheritance. Let it be known. For a while, it would always bug me that the prodigal son comes to this conclusion only after wasting it all, only after spending it all, and only in his desperation does he realize what he's done. There's a part of me that wished he would have, he would have had this realization more rationally, like after he only wasted half the money or half the time, when he was only half desperate. But as often is the case, you can't see the top until you completely have reached the bottom And it occurs to me during during one of the weeks of fasting that the prodigal son has to endure a forced type of fast. We see life so differently when we remove certain things or practices or behaviors, and we are left with confronting both our wants and our needs. And it's here that we often ask the questions that really matter. And that moves us to repentance. That is how fasting moves us forward. Now, there are two types of repentance that we want to highlight today. One is individual repentance. This is the personal type between you and the Lord. All of us have to experience this individual repentance. And it's not just a once and done thing. Now, while we all need to surrender our life to Jesus once, and you can only get baptized once in in a public profession, we confess our sins regularly. We repent often. And, And as Jesus teaches us every day we pick up our cross and we follow him. This is all part of individual repentance. It's practices like prayer and fasting that help us to focus on our spiritual formation, and that helps us with identifying the ways that we are not like Jesus. For years, when this story was preached, I'd be in a room full of people where we'd look around and, and wonder, all right, which one of your sinners needs to confess and repent? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Friends, Jesus is not giving an altar call here to a few. Jesus is telling us all that we all need to be living repentant lives. Not just repenting from our sin, but repenting and living forward in the way of Jesus. In addition to individual repentance, there is also our collective repentance. It's what we're a part of is what we're connected to, It's what we contribute towards and receive from. This is the collective. We, we, we don't just control our own actions, but we represent the, the, the actions and the behaviors and the words of us as a community. And I wanna share with you one of the aspects that, that has rang true for me throughout this Lent, and, and that is our need to repent collectively. We don't pray or worship or preach in a vacuum. What is happening in our world and and across our nation has had an effect on all of us. The the shootings in Atlanta and now Colorado, they've impacted each of us. And we can make the the mistake of naively jumping into every cultural wave, and we can also make another mistake of avoidance and not engaging in the fast-moving waters of the culture around us while our neighbors are drowning. We seek godly wisdom and spirit-led courage in these moments. In response to the violence against the Asian American Pacific Islander community, we hosted a panel discussion last Sunday called Paso Reflections on Asian American Violence that included pastors Jeanette, Sonny, John, and Tom Lee. About 200 people logged in to watch, and, and you can find it for yourself on our YouTube channel, or on our website, or through our app but I was honored to be one of the moderators. And I share that that I have been processing the events of the past few years and reflecting all throughout Lent. And in that reflection, I realized that when I first entered the ministry, I thought I was going to be promoting the hope and the truth of Jesus against the forces of things like atheism or secularism. And while those things are relevant, we as a church community are suffering even more from the effects of racism and sexism and tribalism, among other significant societal issues. I know it's very complicated, and please don't dismiss this as a soapbox type of a rant. Rather, I want to be the type of Jesus follower who is taking thought every captive for Christ. And I I want to start from the, the, the conviction that we cannot love our neighbors and tolerate or enable any hint of racism or discrimination or misogyny or any other sin. I want to be clear. It's not about repenting to the culture. It's not about subscribing to a particular societal agenda. agenda. Similar to how Jesus said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Those who live by the headlines might also die by the headlines. It's about living our lives repentant before the Lord, loving our neighbors, and praying for those who oppose us. That's the type of Christ follower I want to be. So whatever is limiting us from loving our neighbor or praying for our enemy as Jesus taught, that is what we must collectively repent from. It's not just repenting from our sins, but it is also repenting towards the way of Jesus. I want to live out the way of Jesus on the issue of racism. We are in need of desperate repentance. And so to move forward, we must repent of it. And to repent of it, we have to name it, confess it, and bring Jesus into it. I'm giving this sermon in a time where younger generations are leaving the church in historic numbers. Many are not leaving for the reasons that the experts predicted years ago, like atheism or secularism. Those may be factors, but that's not what our young people are saying. Instead, they are leaving not because they've rejected the claims of Jesus, but the way that organized religion has disillusioned them. by the the way that they have seen the church treat people. And as a result, they can't identify with being seen as a Christian or even with this term evangelical. We have to ask ourselves as a collective Christian community, are we loving Jesus with everything that we have and demonstrating that to those around us? And are we loving our neighbors? Are we loving our enemies? If not, We must collectively repent from that. Jesus wept for Jerusalem because the hearts of the people wouldn't change. We cannot make that same mistake. Instead, may we be people who repent and celebrate. Remember, the way of Jesus is about repentance leading to celebration. The more I grow in Jesus, and secondary perhaps, the older I get as a parent, the more I understand and appreciate and am moved by the father's response in this story. The part where he stands waiting for the son to come home. And when I compare this to Jesus weeping over his people in Jerusalem, that moves me. Any parent would gladly give the inheritance away if it meant that that child would discover repentance in Jesus and embrace the love and grace of God. Any parent would sacrifice whatever they needed for that child. We're all prodigals in some way. And today, if you see yourself as one, and it's personal shame or the older brothers that are keeping you away, don't let any of that stop you from returning. I commit to you that I'll be at that party, not just celebrating your repentance, but also repenting with you. And I know our fellow pastors and staff mates, student ministry staff and Town staff, or any small group leader, Countless other leaders and servants around our church, we would be a church that would be celebrating and repenting right along with you, yelling woohoo as loud as we could. To us as a church, may we not be any resemblance of the older brother in the story. And if we discover we are, may we repent and be among the people inside the feast celebrating the salvation and the forgiveness and the love that Jesus brings. This Holy Week, we invite all of you to fast some time to prepare your hearts as we celebrate the victory and the resurrection of Jesus. May you take part in our sacred spaces. May you join us for a good Friday. And may you live forward in repentance as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Amen and amen.